Hi, and welcome to On and Off, our podcast covering the on-premise and off-premise beverage alcohol industry. I'm Melissa Dowling, editor of Cheers. And I'm Kyle Swartz, editor of Beverage Dynamics Magazine. In this episode, we're going to be exploring how modern technology has altered the alcohol industry. Specifically, we're looking into two of the leading alcohol tech companies that have really risen to prominence, and those are City Hive and Drizzly. Yeah, it's pretty difficult to run an off-premise alcohol business these days without dealing with companies like City Hive or Drizzly or the portions of e-commerce that they represent. So City Hive is an all-in-one e-commerce platform for wine and spirit shops that helps fuel online businesses. And it allowed many retailers to adapt quickly when COVID-19 had people staying at home. Joining us today from City Hive is Yossi Dediashvili Drosos, co-founder and chief technology officer at the company. Yossi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Now, Yossi, you know, one of the things about City Hive is it's one of those companies that really helped the off-premise alcohol industry adapt, change, and survive during COVID. Can you tell me a little bit about just, uh, you know, what City Hive has done and what City Hive is up to in that regard? Yeah. So with the surge of COVID back in March 2020, what we've seen almost immediately, which was crazy, we basically saw consumers moving from being like the online presence being like 10% of the of the business, the business online. It's essentially moved to like 100% within like two weeks. So what it meant for us, like across the board, just everything just went like 10x and like in a week. So we spent, I like to describe it from like the, the technical side. Uh, we spent the days making sure the system was running and the nights understanding why it didn't work as expected. <laughs> and it was like, it was just like that for essentially a few weeks until we kind of, we managed to get through that part. So it was very challenging, but it was also kind of changed our mind a bit in terms of our position when it comes to the businesses. It, it basically put us from, a, I describe it as like, almost like the niche, the 10%, the online. Yeah, we have to have that to be in like essentially the, the core of the businesses. If we were down, the business was down. So uh, we basically were all heads on deck, just making sure that the system wasn't down, everything was working as expected. And we, we also kind of started adding a lot of features that were essentially just curated for the situation with COVID. So very quickly, we've added curbside pickups and rolled it out to all businesses. So that was a huge thing. And a, and a very big success. So uh, crazy days, I'd say. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I heard it was a lot. Uh, and now tell me a little bit about, you know, just I have a hard time, like Melissa said, believing anybody in the industry doesn't know about City Hive. But just real quickly, what is City Hive? Just so people understand the e-commerce products that you guys are offering. So we're thinking of us more of like the uh, trying to be the engine that kind of connects the supply chain within the wine and spirits industry. So we started with the retailers, with the, with the off-premise one. Then we kind of climbed up to also, we naturally became very interesting for the brands and the suppliers. And then uh, after that distributors, and then we kind of understood that what actually is going on here is there is a lack of communication between mm. all of these entities and someone needs to solve it. And this is what we're trying to solve these days effectively. It started with, uh, you know, small off-premise businesses. We expanded to chains uh, and large franchises. We started with mobile apps. Then uh, we added the website into the mix, then engagement platform that we are very proud of. And then loyalty programs that also spans into the in-store, giving the consumers kind of 360 experience. Like they shop in-store online. They don't need to care that this is one platform and this is a different one. Uh, they just want to know what they purchase, what they like to buy. 
And then from there, we expanded as well to, uh, to the marketing side of things, like help the stores with marketing, which is something that we really like to do, and personalization as well. So, you know, you market to your consumers, but you don't want all of them to get the same content. You, mm. you want, uh, if someone likes to buy red wine, someone likes to buy white wines or a whiskey or something like that, you want to send out an email like showcasing your, uh, uh, your new arrivals, for example. We want you to like focus on maybe like a summary of what's new, but then each consumer should get its personalized kind of content. These are the, the products that might interest you as opposed to a different, a different consumer that likes red wine, you like whiskeys, et cetera. Now so, you, you, you just, if I can interrupt, you brought up something I absolutely wanted to ask you about, which is that you're collecting and measuring consumer data and analytics at a level that really isn't anywhere else in the industry. And mm-hmm. so you're just talking about how you can identify trends in consumers. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Yeah, so uh, we initially started with just, you know, the straightforward, we we, get, we grab your inventory information because we need that for powering the app and website. But then the, the more we expanded, it was very clear that what businesses want is that 360 view they just they mm-hmm. don't they don't just want to have the inventory in there they want to know what people buy we started doing it by just looking at the the quantity level so you know because we track inventory we can see well you had six yesterday you have five today you sold the battle we could we could do these things but then we expanded our integrations with the point of sale system so that we could actually see the transactions themselves so we're able to say that yesterday you saw you had like 50 transactions, you sold 30 units of that whiskey, 20 of this one, etc. And then also we are able in certain cases connected to consumers. So if the consumer identified themselves in the store, then we are able to bridge that gap into the online kind of mm. associate the two events uh, on the platform and then reflect that on your profile. So it doesn't matter if you shop online or in store in that regard, the personalization is in there and the analytics is in there uh, at the same level for both cases. That's basically the way we approach the data on that end. And we just keep expanding the integration. So we want to have as much coverage as we can. So what do you think the biggest challenge is for retailers in moving to that that e-commerce model? So uh, I think one challenge is some sort of like a mind shift that needs to happen in the business Mm -hmm. as well. They need to think about the online, not as like something that someone else does essentially, but rather it's one of the things that they offer to their consumers. So just like you care about your experience in the store for a consumer, uh, you should care about their experience online. You should care about how they feel about your pricing. Like we see, you know, all sorts of phenomena where it's more expensive to shop online than in the store. And there isn't really too much of a reason for doing that when you think about the consumer. You're actually giving the consumer somewhat of an incentive not to shop online and therefore maybe look somewhere else because they wouldn't necessarily come into the store. So I think that's the that's somewhat of the biggest mind shift that needs to happen. And from there, is, there's also that understanding that it's also a necessity. It's not, not just that it's an optional thing to have online present. You, ha- you 100% have to have online present. It doesn't matter how small you are or how big you are. And we are actually trying to make it so that it's reachable for everyone. That's we want every business, doesn't matter how you operate, how big or small you are, how many people you have on your staff. The platform is here to help you. And we are seeing cases where it's almost like 100% just the platform powers itself. And you're just, you have your inventory, you have your so, and kind of it operates on its own. And it's just an extension of your business. 
Absolutely. Now, I would think most of our listeners by now would understand the necessity for e-commerce, but here's a rhetorical question. Why, as you said, it's a necessity. Why is it a necessity? It's a necessity because at the end of the day, the consumers are online. And I think all of us here, we shop online more than we shop in store, especially when we browse for what to shop. We, we won't just go into a store to see unless it's uh, something very physical that we want to take a look at. But when it comes to wine spirits, you know, businesses have the tastings, they have all of these pieces that happen in store, and that's a great way to kind of engage with the consumers on the physical level. But at the end of the day, they consume almost by definition, right? Not in the store. They they consume the alcohol uh, in their house. It makes sense that they would purchase it from their couch in that sense. So to, to that extent, you have to operate online. Otherwise, they would go somewhere else. That's the basically the way it is. Right, right. Even, you know, I'm, I cover the on-premise industry and, you know, a lot of people either think they didn't need to have an online presence or they had, you know, very bad ones. And then when COVID hit and all every transaction pretty much started online, you really had to have a decent website. Even if someone's, you know, not going to have food delivered or they intend to go in the store, they still might initiate that online to see what you have to offer, just what your site is like if you're legit. Yeah. And, and I think the to a certain degree, that differentiation between co- the consumer world for on and off premise is not what we've seen is that it, it's not really like that black or white situation, right? It, also within the industry, right? A lot of businesses also like partner with, with restaurants near them, etc. There is a story here where there is a gap here that needs to be bridged online between these two worlds. I think that's one of the things that we're seeing as you probably know, we expanded to the B2B world, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're seeing is that that actual connectivity because the distribution level just works with all of them, but also a lot of them are kind of within the same circles. And it makes sense to find kind of path here where these two paths actually get combined. Uh, and we're thinking about like, how do, how are we become relevant for the, for actually the on-premise, not the off-premise? Like, how does that play? Maybe it's from the like the wholesale kind of approach, or is it for the actual consumers? There are all sorts of things that we're thinking about in that area, but only the future will tell. <laughs> what, what If I can ask you to look into the future, what are some ways that you're, or maybe even the present, what are some ways that you're working with the wholesale tier right now? So we started with the, with the B2B, we started with the classic kind of distributor uh, and then on, on and off-premise kind of relationships with the launch of Empire and Maverick in Colorado, et cetera. But what we, we saw immediately is that this is very interesting to the wholesale businesses as well. It's almost like the same model. It's less strict. So there is more freedom in the interactions because naturally a lot of the wholesale businesses are not necessarily big. Right? It could be a relatively small business, but it's also a wholesale business. So I think it's a great kind of segue into that whole world. So And we're actually putting a lot of focus now on the B2B from the wholesale world. To, to enable basically any, just like we're enabling it for stores, we want to enable it for anyone that wants to do wholesale or that does wholesale and kind of bridge these gaps. Sure. The nice part here, I would add that it comes with the full suit of features that the platform comes. So the integrations, the engagements, the personalizations, all of these pieces, we, we essentially took that almost as is and it's usable for the B2B world. And I'm assuming it works well with the on-premise and off-premise consumers as well. There's got to be some overlap there to kind of help the relationship between the 
retailers, bars and restaurants and the wholesalers, which isn't always the best relationship. So I'm assuming yeah. that there's a way here that, you know, perhaps we can even smooth out that relationship a little bit. Yeah, we, it's definitely on our kind of on our roadmap and kind of how we're thinking of it. The, 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 again, our goal is to smooth the connectivity, right? This needs mm. to be seamless. There is the legal aspect that obviously we, we all need mm. to play in, but it, it does not mean that this world shouldn't be connected. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, earlier you said there's a lack of communication was your phrase, and I'm tempted to use that as the title of the podcast. Uh, if, if we didn't yeah. need to drive home the fact that this is about technology, but very well said. Uh, I had another question for you. Obviously, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, COVID changed everything overnight and suddenly everybody was using City Hive or something else like it. And now that COVID has kind of receded into the background of people's minds and certainly it's not affecting our purchasing patterns the way that it previously once was, how do you see, let's say, e-commerce going on after COVID? Obviously, we're not going back to the way things were, but what do you see as the post-COVID e-commerce landscape? I'd say that we originally was somewhat conservative of how long is this going to last? We weren't like, okay, online is going to be 50% moving forward. You know, let's forget about all of the people that just used to purchase and go to the stores. They're going to forget about all of that. They're going to just shop online. So we weren't mm -hmm. as optimistic, I'll say. And I think reality shows that this is exactly what happened. Like people tend to go back to their old habits. So we obviously, there was some shift did kind of accelerate our growth, what happened in within the businesses, we see the, the shift to online, but it's definitely not like that crazy uh, shift that everybody was expecting to see post-COVID. But I think what it did shift is the mindsets of the businesses, as I said in the beginning. That's definitely changed. And also it did, I think, expose maybe the consumers that were maybe pessimistic in a sense to the online world, or like they didn't really connect to it. They were forced to connect to it. And now maybe they're more kind of, they're less hesitant to use it and say moving forward. That That's most kind of, of the shift that I think is happening. Right. Once that window has been cracked open, it's, you know, you may go back yeah. to the store, but it's just always there when, when you need it. And maybe you'll just in, increase that method of shopping. Well, I think we're almost out of time. Kyle, did you have any other questions for Yossi? Oh, that's all I have for you. And Yossi, I want to thank you so much for coming out today. We really do appreciate you taking time at our busy schedule for this. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And please do stay tuned listeners to the second half of this podcast, as we interview Kathy Lewenberg, she is the Chief Operations Officer at Drizzly. And thank you for joining us again, Yossi, and this is the second half of this podcast. Cheers. Thanks Cheers. again, everyone. Cheers. Up next, we have Kathy Lewenberg, the Chief Operating Officer at Drizzly. As most of you probably know, Drizzly is an online ordering and delivery platform that facilitates getting alcohol from local retailers to consumers via its mobile app or website. Thank you for joining us today, Kathy. Melissa and Kyle, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm thrilled to be here. Fantastic. Absolutely. Now, Kathy, Drizzly is obviously one of the tech companies that has really defined alcohol retail technology or just alcohol technology in general since launching a number of years ago. Uh, and then it, it grew significantly during the pandemic as people were stuck at home and realized that they could order alcohol online for the first time. People didn't, I should say a lot of people didn't quite understand that. Now it seems like everybody understands that and certainly changed the landscape. But here we are now coming out of COVID, fingers crossed, hopefully, at least in the latter stages of it. How would you describe the current state of alcohol retail technology? Yeah, Kyle, you, you hit the nail on the head. Technology has rapidly changed the way consumers find and purchase their favorite alcohol beverage brands and discover new ones. And I think the past couple of years have just been an absolute inflection point for this already growing category. 
We expect alcohol e-commerce will continue to grow in the coming years. And I think from a technology standpoint, it's just presented distributors, retailers, and brands with just an expanded tool set um, and new opportunities and ways to reach and engage customers. And yeah, we've we've obviously seen seen a ton of success. I think from a retailer standpoint and, and supplier standpoint, just the amount of data that's available to help them understand what, what's working has just gone through the roof. And so some of our retailers, for example, can see dashboards and, and data around what's trending in their area, better reporting than they've had access to in the past. Same, same goes for the suppliers, right? We have amazing tools and marketing and advertising products to help suppliers get as close as they can to end consumers in a legally compliant way. Um, and they can see advertising performance reports, purchasing data packages to see what's trending in local markets. They can evaluate how their brands are performing. And so it's really, really been game changing. Now, as you look back over the last couple of years, how much has the pandemic reshaped the landscape? It has been game changing, to, to say the least. I think the, the biggest barrier pre-pandemic was just customer awareness that alcohol delivery is legal and viable in many states and still isn't everywhere, certainly. But breaking that barrier was, was just game changing for the industry. And so we saw a number of customers come onto the platform over that time. Drizzly grew fourfold over the last couple of wow. years. The number of stores on the Drizzly platform just last year alone grew more than 45%, just I think reflecting the increased awareness and investment in e-commerce from retailers across the country. And I think, you know, this it, it's not done. The regulatory changes continue to evolve and we continue to see new markets opening up, whether that's adding third-party delivery as an option and obviously just alcohol e-commerce opening up in new market. Recent states like Alabama, Arkansas, New Mexico, Right, we continue to see a lot of momentum and we're excited to continue to expand as, as these new markets open up. You have a lot of data from users, but it seems like we get releases on survey data that maybe comes from independent consumers. Is Do I have that right? Through Drizzly, we have our BevElk Insights. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. share out um, a lot of data about what's trending and it's everything from certainly what we're seeing trending on our platform. And we also do a lot of surveying of our consumers to understand what they're looking for, what they want. And so we do have an annual consumer report that's actually about to be released shortly, highlighting some of what they're looking for. When I think about alcohol technology, you know, what you're talking about is what I think is going to be the next big step is that you're going to see an even broader embrace of the use of data and analytics in real time uh, decision making. And I know you kind of already hinted at some of the ways that retailers and some of your other customers are using this information. Maybe you want to expand a little bit more on just, you know, how important this kind of data is and how it can help you run your business better. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the great things about the category is there's (laughs) tens of thousands of SKUs out there, right? It's Mm. extremely rich in terms of the number of offerings available I think being able to understand certainly what's trending, top sellers, very localized. So being able to see kind of what's what's happening at the local level within markets is really important. I also think then taking those thousands and thousands of SKUs and curating it down to ones that are going to be most relevant for the individual based on their purchasing trends, what other customers maybe who, who look like them in terms of shopping behaviors have liked that we think they may like, right? There's a lot of personalization happening as well. And this, you know, as I think about Drizzly, we made the shift from into today's marketplace where we're pulling in views across multiple stores and and allowing customers to shop multiple stores at the same time. So whether they're, you know, price matters most, whether it is that selection, we're really helping them control the shopping experience 
curation, though, is really critical to getting right to help the, the customer make the, the decisions. What, if any, effect will services like Drizzly have on on-premise beverage alcohol consumption? I think the biggest thing we do see is customers coming to Drizzly to research. So they're not necessarily purchasing, but they're coming to research, whether they're looking up SKUs, they're seeing what might be trending, they'll read reviews about certain products, they'll be looking, you know, certainly from an off-premise, they're looking to see which stores carry certain items, but we do see a lot of the researching happening on our platform. You Mm -hmm. talked about some of the regulatory changes in the delivery of alcohol, and certainly that is a rapidly changing landscape and one that looks very different across the country on a state-by-state level. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the ways, you know, in every single state, though, regardless of how the regulations look in their state, want to protect underage people from receiving alcohol or intoxicated people from receiving alcohol. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the ways that Drizzly is ensuring the safety of the delivery of alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really, really critical and, and core to Drizzly, right? We make it easy to access alcohol. We also have a responsibility which we take very seriously to make sure it's done in the most responsible and, and safest way possible. Everything from on our platform, we have certainly age gates to make sure um, folks who are shopping verify that they are of legal age. And then obviously the most critical point is that at that time of handoff and ensuring our retail partners or third-party partners who are doing the delivery are verifying the IDs we have a proprietary ID scanning technology that validates the, the ID is legal and valid um, that is used at, at that point of uh, handoff. You know, listeners, I am not being paid to say this. I swear I'm really not. But, you know, obviously I write about alcohol delivery quite a lot and do a lot of research into it, including which of the delivery services has the best record in terms of following the law and not delivering to underage people or intoxicated people. I I believe it's Drizzly. I believe you guys are doing the best in the industry of keeping alcohol out of the hands of people who should not be receiving it. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. We do do spend a lot of time thinking about it, certainly. What are you looking at next for Drizzly? What are some of the innovations and changes that you see coming up in the future for the company? Yeah, I mean, obviously we just closed last October with the Uber deal where we were acquired. We are a, a wholly owned subsidiary, so we, we are remaining independent and kind of running the Drizzly brand and the, and the Drizzly product while also helping to power a lot of the Uber experience. And so it's just been an awesome journey so far, kind of bringing the marriage of the category expertise that, that Drizzly provides and all of the, the relationships um, that we have, our knowledge of the category bringing that together with Uber, their platform, their scale, their amazing logistics network. And we're just starting to see kind of the the fruitions come come to light of the integration efforts. And so that's been where we've been spending most of our time. I would say within the Drizzly experience specifically, you know, I already touched on the discovery, the curation. You're going to see us double down there in new fighting ways. And I think one of the things that I've been really excited about while Drizzly was founded on this premise of really meeting that immediate need, right? I'm having friends over and the fridge is empty. I need to, to get a six pack in hand. Uh, we're really focused on now serving multiple occasions that go well beyond that immediate need use case. Gifting has gone through the roof on our platform. Our gifting mm-hmm. share Drizzly increased 66% year over year. And so that's something you're going to see new innovations. You know, folks will be coming to us for that. We've also doubled down on our corporate offerings as well. So we have a white glove service where we have a concierge team that's helping to pair corporate customers with local stores and helping ensure they can get, you know, products into the hands of, of employees, whether it's for a certain happy hour or to toast for a celeb, you know, celebration moment. For example, we have our 10th anniversary that we're celebrating next week. 
we're going to be doing a big a big drizzly toast leveraging the services there so we're going to see us see us doubling down on really meeting more of the consumers everyday needs and in, in, uh, in, in new experiences on, on the drizzly platform congratulations on the 10-year anniversary that's fantastic Thank you. We are very, very thrilled. Yeah, that doesn't seem possible. <laughs> it's been around <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> I know. That was my thought as well. I was like, oh boy, that makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so with all the data that you have, I mean, do you have any predictions as to some of the trends we might be seeing? Yeah, I think, you know, we can, there, there's a lot of, of trends that, that we're seeing on the platform. I think that they're probably similar to ones you're seeing out in off-premise as well as on-premise. Tequila just continues to grow and win new share. And we're seeing consumers use it in a lot of new new ways, right? They're putting it in with just the soda and kind of replacing their vodka and soda. We're seeing them dip on, you know, the, the higher end ones. It's replacing some of the scotch and whiskey purchasing occasions. So that's one that we continue to just focus on getting right and, and helping bring it to life on, on, on the platform in the right way and really how much it's evolved. The ready-to-drinks, while still small in the grand scheme of things, the ready-to-drink cocktails, they're still doing really, really well. We're seeing a lot of new innovation there. Our customers love it. And obviously, this is the peak time of year, right? When, when customers are on the go, they're at the beach, they're barbecuing. And so that's one that has continued to, to do really, really well on the platform as well. And then wine has done pretty well, although spirits has taken fare and is now the leader on our on our platform over wine. And that happened over the last year, year and a half. And so that's a category we continue to, to do well with, but it's been interesting watching the, the shift to spirits. And I think some of that has to do with the gifting trends as well in terms of what people are purchasing, right? There's obviously the sparkling wines, but then a lot of um, spirits has, has, has been a primary gift for folks. I'm glad you brought that up. I want to ask you a little bit more about the gifting. So how exactly does this work? People can come to Drizzly, whether it's our app or drizzly.com and go into our gifting flow. And, you know, we certainly have a lot of recommendations for some of the top sellers. We also, you know, so if people need help navigating and you're looking for recommendations where they can come and pick a a favorite gift, um, they can go through the flow, pick kind of the appropriate card, right? Whether it's just more of a thinking of you moment, whether it's a congratulations, a birthday, pick an e-card that then gets sent to the individual and the individual can then go ahead and schedule when they want their gift delivered. And it's just been a really, really great experience. And this is where we have a number of retailers who do this really well, comes in a special, you know, drizzly gift bag with, with a handwritten note in, in most cases. And so we continue to, to partner to make that experience even better, but it's it's been just a huge hit with our customers and we're seeing a lot of repeat purchases. With, That's you know, fan- that fantastic. Flow. And uh, Drizzly is located in my uh, birth city of Boston. So I wanted to ask you what's your favorite thing about Boston before we let you go. That's an easy one. It's Red Sox. Baseball yeah. season. It's always not, fun. Actually, I just brought not, my uh, three girls to their first Red Sox game last uh, month. We had an absolute blast. So that's, that's a favorite this time of year. Not the best Red Sox season, but Fenway is always fun to go to, regardless of how the Red Sox are playing. Yeah, always, always a good game, even when they're not winning. We'll take it. Absolutely. Well, as a Yankee fan, I'm pleased to say we're out of time for this. Ooh. <laughs> You're jealous. You're jealous. I'm very um, <laughs> but thank you so much for um, joining us today, Kathy, and sharing some insights about Drizzly. And thank, thank you, you so every- much for having me. It was great, great, to, great to connect.
Absolutely. And thank you to all of our listeners as always. And please do check in. Uh, remember to uh, tune in, excuse me, do remember to tune in when we have another podcast episode on and off covering the on and off beverage alcohol industries. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.